0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Coffee with Graymass. I'm Tony Licavoli. I am Aaron Cox. And we're going to continue our discussion from last episode talking about the uh, Graymass business model, kind of how Graymass does what it does. Um, So for people that didn't catch the last episode, uh, Aaron, could you just kind of give us a a quick overview? What is uh, Graymass and what do you consider yourselves as a crypto native company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, Gray Mass is a, basically a software and infrastructure provider in the crypto industry. Um, we are a crypto native company. We kind of deal mostly in the crypto side of things. Uh, we obviously have kind of links into the traditional uh, banking and financial industries or markets or whatever you want to call them. Um, just like anybody else who's normally invested in crypto would. Um, So that way we can interact with the traditional world. Uh, You got to pay, you know, accountants and lawyers and other people who aren't in the industry and native currencies. So um, those kinds of on-ramps and off-ramps are important to these kinds of businesses. Um, But overall, we use that to kind of, Create a a software infrastructure company that provides public goods, uh, provides services like APIs and whatnot, and um, shares our expertise with the ecosystem.
0: So what would you say is the biggest upside and downside of kind of working with that gray mass crypto business model?
1: I would say it's probably just that it's, I mean, it's difficult to have these interactions kind of in this weird semi-regulated market um, you know I, I'm sure anybody who's actually invested in crypto has experienced it's it's difficult to switch to and from um, this new financial markets and the old financial markets there's a lot of red tape and hoops and verification that needs to be completed for you to be able to do it um, and that's for individuals and for businesses whether it's with an exchange or it's your bank and they're wondering what's going on here. Um, so it's the need to be able to move back and forth between those two um, systems, basically. Uh, that is been kind of a difficult hurdle to overcome, um, whether it's verifying that your business is a real thing and you are doing like legitimate activities on these blockchains and the sources of funding is um, not anything shady. Um, That's probably one of the biggest challenges that we face as a company like this, not to mention that the assets in crypto are volatile compared to most, you know, like if you have your bank account, it with inflation and with other aspects of traditional markets, the value of that stuff and the purchasing power does fluctuate. But with crypto, it's a it's a whole different can of worms. Um, So I would say those are kind of the biggest challenges we face. The upside i guess is that it is just this new emerging market and we get to experiment um, we get to be on the forefront of what's being created um so while there, there's a ton of uncertainty around it if if you can navigate those waters it is quite a i would say exciting experience um just because you know you're kind of you're pioneers you're driving forward in ways that not many people have before so there's there's that like western ex- <laughs> exploration mentality that's exciting
0: sure no and, and it's it's so i think it's one of the things that draws a lot of people into crypto in the first place is this idea that you know it's the wild west and yeah. i think you know <laughs> i think a lot of people will kind of look at that that you know I can't can't I can't avoid saying it, but that cowboy mentality, and uh, um, and you know the excitement and the uh, you know enthusiasm over uh, a new a new market and a new technology and uh, a, and a new potentially even economy. Yeah. Um, yeah. At the same time, if you asked any cowboy back in that time, they would probably tell you all the horrible things <laughs> that yeah. are uh, out in the wild west. And obviously, crypto's no no different. Um, you mentioned kind of having to get out from underneath that that stigma of uh, of uh, and having to prove yourself the legitimacy of our work. Uh, have we had any? Is there any kind of uh, uh, direct issues that you've ever experienced with that?
1: I mean, we've had times where we've had troubles, difficulty verifying who we actually are. Um, Mm -hmm. just because with this being the West, you know, if we want to continue running this analogy of like American expansion West, there's gold there and there's also outlaws there. So it's, you need to navigate both of them, the risk and the reward that's coming through it and being able to actually like prove to let's say an exchange or some sort of money transmitter that like, no, this is legitimate. Business going on on this side. Um, Sometimes it takes weeks, if not months, um, of back and forth with various customer service and just creating some sort of um, pile of evidence. That's like, look, we legitimately do these things. This is how we're paid. Um, There's no one of the things they're especially looking into is is like the issue of custodianship, Um, Mm -hmm. and so we need to navigate that and be like, no, we create. We don't manage anybody else's money. We just create the software that helps people do it themselves. Um, there's this fine line between centralization and decentralization in even the software beyond the blockchains. Um, to show that it's like you know, no, we're not we're not a financial company, but we operate in the financial space. So. Um, yeah, I can say we've had to go through and jump through those hoops a number of times. Um, each time we start dealing with a new crypto or a new exchange or anything like that, um, just to create that certainty for whoever we're dealing with that you know we're we're real people, we're doing real things. This isn't a scam. So <laughs> it's it's a never-ending battle, and I'm assuming until some point in time, if and when crypto gets more regulated, it's going to be that way.
0: Sure. I mean, there, there's a lot. Obviously, that's going to be the case in any burgeoning industry. Um, did, did any of these, obviously, you know, uh, it, it, we've, we've talked about this before, about the idea of not earning your wings, but uh, uh, sort of I'm trying to think of the right word for it whenever you know that that first time you get scammed so to speak did any of that kind of experience that dealing with you know uh you know having experienced shady and 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 scams before in crypto did any of that lead to you uh or influence you to focus on making anchor premier product so to speak
1: i think so i mean i those of us that founded gray mass we have been around in crypto for a while and i'm fairly certain all of us have either been scammed or been into things that aren't what they appear that you necessarily couldn't call a scam, but it's borderline a scam. Um, (laughs) So we know the difficulties that people in like approaching crypto face. And um, I think that experience for us and kind of the technical eye we applied to it help lead to things like the development of Anchor and the approaches that we've taken to building software for people to effectively be their own financial instruments. Um, it, it certainly has raised all of our spider senses to the maximum level <laughs> in which we will question everything uh, and design products in ways that um, try to protect people as much as possible so they don't experience what we experienced in the past. Um, but it, I mean, it still happens even to today. So there's, it's a game of whack-a-mole and we have whacked many of the moles, but they keep popping up. So you always have, you have to be vigilant constantly in this space right now. You know, you're, you're keeping your gold bars under your bed and in your backpack and whatnot. Um, (laughs) I following the old West metaphor.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, there's a certain amount of, uh, anxiety and security that needs to come along with that so you know you don't want people forgetting where they kept their money for example so we have to develop technologies like the owner key certificates so that way uh, they always have like this deed to claim what is their own um but yeah
0: that's a that's a thing that i have a hard time i should mention to folks listening home. I work with gray mass and uh, at gray mass uh, as part of our support team. And I could honestly, it's something that I have to combat quite a bit of trying to reassure people that this is safe and secure and we have no interest in, in a person's keys. And it's, it's almost humorous to see when you look at, for instance, like the, the telegram channels and seeing people who specifically state in the, their username that they will never DM somebody directly, or they'll never ask for, you know the 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 it's the the things that people go to to try to prove to people that they're they're not nefarious and that they're not you know trying to do something like that. You'd mentioned when uh, you know kind of the early days of anchored something that I, you know I was actually curious about also when Graymass started. Um, so I understand Graymass is like completely employee owned. We didn't have any investors or anything like that. We didn't have any seed funding or anything along those lines.
1: Yeah, I mean, we started it kind of um, out of our own pockets. You know, it was a period of time where we didn't take pay. There was uh, initial upfront investment to get everything started, and we paid for all of that out of pocket. Um, We were fortunate enough to be able to do that based on, you know, our previous experiences uh, working on blockchains like Steam. Um, and just, you know, having like myself having a very small nest egg that I could live off of for a period of time. Um, but we, we managed to get it off the ground and start developing things with a really small team. I mean, I think the first year was three of us, and there really was no pay over that time and not much income. We were bringing in tokens actually, but we didn't, we didn't quite understand how uh, as a business, we needed to, um, be verified and registered in, you know, exchanges and places like that. Um, it goes back to those hoops that we had to jump through. Yeah. In the first like six months to a year, we were still trying to figure out how to jump through those hoops. And so anything that we did bring in as a block producer, for example, um, it all just sat there. It wasn't, being deployed because we wanted to make sure that you know we were doing everything above board and we could set up the systems to be able to actually do that. Um, during that time, we did have people that approached us and offered us um, investment like seed funding effectively, and we decided we didn't need it at that time. Um, and since then, we just never have accepted any offers like that. They have come through occasionally. Um, but we've always been, you know, trying to grow this on our own um, up until a point. And I think there, we managed to get pretty far going this route. Uh, we're obviously in kind of a tough market right now and trying to figure all of that out and how we continue to move forward with a growing team. Uh, we've bit off a lot more uh, projects than realistically we should have. So it's you know between Anchor and Unicove and the SDKs, which luckily are funded, um, the API services, all of these other things, it's how do we, how do we scale that up now? So that way, the, like these good ideas can actually be um, we can continue to run with them, grow the team and keep going. So, it's been an interesting evolution from the beginning of just running 100% out of our own pockets to get, gaining some decent income over the years as a block producer, which is very unstable, to the point now where it's like, okay, realistically, we should have like two or three times as many developers working on this stuff so we can yeah. actually deliver and help the ecosystem compete. So, but yeah, right now we are 100% owned by, um, I think five of us in total, Um, there's no outside influences. We get to control our own destiny, essentially, which is why you see us focus so heavily on things like security and privacy. We're not, you know, trying to make people into our products like um, very traditional tech companies would selling your data and kind of monetizing you in a way and giving you free stuff. so yeah, it's, I would say it's been very beneficial and probably more difficult.
0: <laughs> sure. Coming from, you know, a, a traditional corporate background and, especially from a, a sysadmin type side of things, it, it is always sad to watch a, a company chase features and, uh, um, instead of spending time on stuff like security or, or bug fixes. And so, you know, uh, Usually, a lot of times there can be a lot of external or or internal pressure um, from people like investors and uh, uh, executives that really want to see something that will allow them to sell the product better when it isn't necessarily in the best interest of the product. That's one of the reasons why I love it here is because we are able to focus on and and entirely put our effort into stuff like security and stability. So, that's a great feeling (laughs) to. to, be with a company that that is focused on that. You'd mentioned, you know, uh, some of our other sources of income uh, aside from uh, tokens or anything along those lines. Do we have other? Uh, what kind of other sources of funding? Do we ever get paid in fiat by any uh, any of these users, or is it crypto specific or crypto native? I should say.
1: The block production is kind of our primary. It's the bread and butter of sure. um, the income that Graham brings in. It's you know we effectively our validator on the network, we get paid to produce blocks, and that net income comes from the inflation of these blockchains themselves. Um, we do have a couple other smaller revenue streams, things like fuel, which is how we provide resources to users. Um, we give out free transactions on that side, and then once you know a free transaction quota is exceeded, there we can append small fees to transactions to cover the resources for users. It's it's not a requirement for these users. It's kind of an optional thing they can do if they don't want to manage their own resources, um, which is rather complicated. So it's kind of a convenience fee. And there is a small upcharge on that that, you know, I, I don't even know the number on what it brings in, but it's fairly insignificant compared to everything else. Um, Those come in in the form of crypto as well. So those are two forms of crypto income. And then from the fiat side, we actually sell accounts on these networks through Anchor and through um, the web portal for account creation that that money comes to us in fiat, whether it's from Apple or Google being in the in-app purchases in Anchor on those respective operating systems, um, or whether it's through payment processors like uh, Stripe that we use for the web portal to create accounts. Um, again, that's something that has a cost to us, and then there's a small like surcharge on top of it that we get a little bit of profit off of. Um, I Actually, I don't know if I'd call it profit, but yeah. it helps us offset the cost yeah. in running those services. Sure. So. Um, And I guess aside from that, the big thing over the past year or so has been working with the chains themselves to kind of split some of the more technical work we do out into grants and um, other forms of funding that don't necessarily fit within the paradigm of block production. You know, the STK project that we just took on is probably one of the biggest and best examples of that. Um, We're building these software development toolkits that developers will be able to use to build applications in these ecosystems. Um, And the coalition of uh, analog blockchains being EOS, WAX, Telos, and who am I forgetting? UX. So yeah, EOS, WAX, UX, and Telos. Um, They have approved our grant and are now funding us to develop those tools. So that is um, a good chunk of money to help build those things and sustain operations uh, and lets us not focus so heavily on extracting rewards from block production to put into software development, but instead kind of separates those concerns slightly. So we hope that those types of projects will help sustain us and help us grow moving forward. And then, I mean, in that same vein, there's also things like Pamello, which is a crowdfunding platform. Uh, For the last three seasons, we have put up various projects that we do that don't really fit in the scope of block production and have been kind of crowdfunding, um, I guess you could call them donations from the community to, to accelerate and facilitate that work so we did one in season one for our public apis um, which brought in some money which then went into purchasing new hardware and deploying it in a brand new data center Uh, and then for season two and three we put anchor itself up as a public good that could use support and development so all of those have been fairly successful at raising money i think we I don't know the exact numbers, but we've always been kind of in the top five projects that get attention and a uh, number of donors, you know, have been rather high on each of them. Um, so it's all these little trickles of income that come towards us that help us kind of hold it and put it all together make sure we can grow hire people and keep working on these projects.
0: You know, looking within the EOS community and, and seeing how much, uh, uh, Pomelo kind of permeates into that community. Um, How has that experience been? Has it been uh, um, pretty good working with them?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been improving season to season. So like the first season there, it was, I think the first thing that comes to mind was it was kind of hard to share from our side, what Mm -hmm. we were doing, you know, you'd share the links and it would just kind of advertise Pomelo as the preview of the link or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been improved now so we can more effectively share. Like, this is our grant and it's about Anchor, and here's what Anchor is. And um, they've added project updates so we can go from season to season. Um, the EOS Nation team that has been building the Pomelo platform, uh, which may be its own entity at this point, I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly, but they have been just evolving system based on feedback. And, um, Year over year, it's getting better and we're seeing, well, not year over year, it's only been going a year.
0: Um, (laughs) we season over season.
1: Yeah. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. Um, we are, we're seeing constant improvement. So I hope that that continues and I'm pretty confident it will and more and more projects will be able to kind of do what we are doing, um, and build these small teams up that operate in the space to build things that benefit the space. That's, I think kind of what our belief has always been what these networks need to do is they have this financial instrument and they need to leverage it to improve uh, itself. You know, it's this secular thing that can feed itself in some regards. It obviously needs to be a tightrope walk in that regard. But um, in order to make sure that these things that are public goods that are not profit driven projects can be completed there needs to be a mechanism to make sure that that's incentivized sure. pomelo is a big part of that so
0: no last year was my or last year see now I'm doing it <laughs> last season <laughs> was uh was my my first time donating in pomelo and it it was a fairly uh um straightforward and simple process you know using anchor of course it seems like they're trying to make it fun they have a lot of the uh, different nft offerings that then amplify and Uh, uh, also help contribute to Pomelo, but uh, it it was fascinating to watch it, you know, from the, uh, um, as an actual contributor or a a donator, but also kind of from both sides of the coin. Right. But it is really encouraging to see that the idea that, you know, like you said, the system that feeds itself, you know, we have the ability to do that. And it's kind of one of the unique positions. And honestly, one of the more attractive things here is, you know, getting through to people into different development teams that here's, you know, a, a network that is willing to you don't have to be a huge team. You don't have to have a massive contract. You know, here's a way that you can help fund and, and help get get amounts out to smaller teams, um, which I think is a really underserved kind of uh, group in this workspace, especially. I mean, in, in crypto in general, it, it's a lot of small teams, right? There are very few large teams. Um, at least in the you know in the software space, the traditional software space. So it's really fascinating to see this this kind of organically grown system that is, like you said, it's getting better season by season. And so it's a really really encouraging to see. Obviously, if we're if we're getting a lot of our you know from looking through all of our sources with with BPS with fuel um, grants and and, and Pomelo uh, GitHub sponsors, I think is another one. Looks like we have a lot of crypto coming in, a lot of uh, uh, assets as far as you know non non fiat uh, uh assets coming in so do we pay everybody out in crypto or uh how how do we kind of navigate you know obviously as our team's getting bigger too, how do we kind of navigate that payroll
1: for the longest time we did operate completely in um the crypto space. We actually developed a smart contract that people participated in that would distribute um, funding effectively to each person on kind of a ratio that was determined by the team. Um, so and then it was up to each individual person to account for that and um, be able to move that out to whatever their native currency is we're, we're a global team. So there are a lot of different currencies. Um, in markets like this, however, where you know, it's kind of pushed down, prices aren't as great, money's not as great. Um, We still need people and there's probably less people that are willing to go that route. So on our end, we also now kind of pay contractors in fiat that are not willing to expose themselves to the crypto them itself. Um, We have set that up on our side explicitly as contractors Uh, in kind of the traditional world um, where there are hourly rates that are paid in people's native currencies. And I guess from the Gray Mass perspective, what we do is we sell tokens for uh, Canadian dollars, and then we use those Canadian dollars to be able to pay these people out. So Gray Mass itself has always kind of operated as a not-for-profit. It doesn't really as shareholders of Gray Mass, because in the traditional world, we still have shareholders. Um, we don't, they're not, we're not seeking profit necessarily off of those shares like a publicly traded company would. Um, it's just a representation of ownership. So we were forced to sell some of our tokens or a, a lot of our tokens in order to be able to do this sort of payment to people that don't want to be exposed to this risk. There's only uh, a certain sized pool of people that have the risk tolerance to be able to actually be paid out of crypto. So at this point, we're a mixture of both. Um, And at some point, it may be nice to actually have some sort of employees where it's, you know, Greymasse has enough of a runway to be able to offer somebody a salary rather than a contract. Um, but we up until this date have not done that. It's always been part of the team is just willing to accept that risk and it's paid out of crypto. The other half is, you know, contractors that want more of a guarantee, um, on what they're actually going to be paid month to
0: month. So it sounds like it's one of the interesting, unique positives of being a crypto native company is we have that option, right. And, and being able to, payout in that way but also giving people the flexibility you know i we've we've all had positions before in the past where you know there have been shares or or uh, rsas or um i'm not getting the term right but the you know the idea that you're getting stock in the company it's humorous because the you know we always talk about the volatility and and a lot of the public talks about the volatility in crypto space yet i've personally watched shares tank right before my eyes and yeah. it's it's just just as volatile so i imagine i i i imagine being having that flexibility when it comes to payroll and we we have to we have to do a little shuffling around to to make it work but we give everybody that option which is is great to hear Great to see, personally. Um, we've talked a lot about the negatives of being a crypto-native company and, and, and a handful of the positives. What are some other positives of, of having that independence and being not necessarily tied to the traditional world in that aspect?
1: I mean, I think one of the things from an administrative point of view I like the most is just how easy it is to actually deal with the crypto-native side of things. Um, like I said, we developed a smart contract. Uh, that distributes uh, those who are participating on the crypto side of things. And it was a little bit of upfront development and discussion and, you know, figuring out how this system works. But then now that the smart contract is deployed from an administrative point of view, we just, you know, we determine how much goes into it. And then all we do is transfer some tokens and transferring those tokens. I mean, obviously, we're all very experienced in the crypto side of things. Um, but it's a lot easier than dealing with banks and dealing with wire transfer services or Swift or any of these other um, financial instruments that we'd have to use. So I mean I think and I'm obviously very very biased, but um, that the crypto side is is kind of fun and kind of innovative and easier than what we would have to do to actually pay somebody normally and it is a lot more transparent, which yeah. I have kind of a fondness to just simply because it's like, that's in my point of view, how a lot of things should be is a lot more open and honest. Like the blockchain is not going to lie. It displays <laughs> all of this and it does what it says it's going to do. And no human is going to get in the way of that. Yeah. Um, the only humans that could get in the way are us as the authors of this software. So it's. It's kind of liberating. Um, and I think as you're dealing with both in parallel, you can appreciate how the crypto side of things works a little bit more. You know, there's less hoops to jump through and less, you know, you're you're in control, which is, I think, an underlying theme of crypto in general. So sure. that's that's a pretty big positive. Um, and I guess the other positive is, is that, you know, with being paid out in tokens, I'm one of the people that gets paid out in tokens. Um, it gives you, it's almost like you're being paid out in shares of the network. Um, that's part of that volatility. Um, it's not, they're not shares, obviously. There's no, there's no company here that you own ownership of, but it is this large collective of the ecosystem. It's the token that represents the utility of the network Mm -hmm. that you end up being paid out in. Um, And it gives you that opportunity to um, use it as a currency. It allows you to uh, hold on to that just immediately. There's no transferring. There's no depositing. It's just in your account. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's been a while since I've been paid in a traditional world, but I i have rather enjoyed just being paid in the crypto side of things. Um, And I think others on the team could probably say the same. Obviously the price volatility is not great,
0: but (laughs) hell in a perfect world, right? Yeah. We're being paid in potential. And I think that's, that's one of the, it's, it's, it's a bit of eating your own dog food, but at the same time, it's, it's a lot more valuable than that, right? It's not like uh, uh, I work at a restaurant and for lunch I eat the food that we make. It's obviously quite a bit deeper than that, you know. You're buying into, it's just a sign of believing in what we're doing so much so that that's what you choose to get paid in because we believe so strongly that the upside is so good. You know, if this were a, a, a tanking token or a failing network of some sort, then yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be so enthusiastic about the, the, the coin itself or the token in uh, and yeah, it might be more hesitant to get paid in it, but it, it's, it's almost like you're investing immediately. Uh, you know, so if I had fiat and I got paid by a, an employer, then I would have to take that money, obviously, you know, dump a lot into taxes and fees and, and all sorts of wonderful stuff. And then I get to take whatever I have left after builds and I can invest that. This is already like, pre-invested. <laughs> so it, it's, you know, again, volatility being what it is it, it you could go the other way as well, but it is exciting. And it's the kind of risk that I'd be, I'd personally would be generally afraid of. This doesn't kind of cross that boundary. It's not like, uh, you know, it's going to drop completely overnight, but it, it, it's something that, that has, uh, uh, you know, that I feel like it, 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 we're, we're actively working toward making it better. So it's, we have a vested interest in it. And it's uh, uh it's kind of fascinating in that way. Um, you know, it's not quite company script, but it's but it it's working towards something that your your the work you do has a direct correlation to what you get paid in. And you know, it's like it's almost like being an artist, right? If you make a beautiful painting, it's going to be potentially worth more. It could might not be because of whatever reason in the art market, but uh, if you make a great painting, then, you know, the time and effort you put into it will get reflected in the pay that you make, which is again, one of these unique industries that we're able to actually pull that off. in.
1: I was going to say, and in some senses we are dog fooding the system because sure. like you're right, what you were describing in the aspect of being able to hold those tokens, like that is obviously it's up to everybody as an individual and a lot of our team, I mean, I have done this as well, we'll sell immediately just because we need cash to interact with the traditional world. But the fact that we're doing this through a smart contract that we're using the token that we're using anchor and we're using fuel to pay for transactions like for us to in our personal lives have to interact with this blockchain is. And with the software we create is very much dog fooding the ecosystem in our personal lives. It gives us that personal connection to um, the software and the technology that we're working on to make sure that like our experiences as humans using this software through our business is the same experience we'd want other people to have as well. So there's a lot of layers of dog fooding. <laughs>
0: Well, we obviously want to use the best tool for the job. So <laughs> not, not to cheerlead too much, but if there were a better system to use, we'd use it. But this I I don't know, in my opinion, it is the best system. So um but no, yeah. and, and it kind of leads into also the the learning aspect and the QA aspect also of, you know, like like you said, we all use anchor we we so and we use it on various devices in various different ways and um it forces us to kind of you know if there's something that we don't like in our day-to-day or month-to-month use of it then then yeah well we can notice that right away and be able to make a a, an edit and a change and it, it is it has made that our workflow for this process much much smoother because we know we're going to have to use it, and we're we're yeah. gonna. You gotta, you know, we don't have a choice. Yeah, I mean, continuing on that, I have
1: exclusively started using Unicove for all of my token transfers, um, like for my day to day operations, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. whether it's looking at balances or whether it's sending tokens or interacting with an exchange. Like I have made the choice to use unicode for all of that rather than like the desktop in-app transfer interfaces um just because i want to make sure that that experience is good for me day to day and then inherently good for the other users that end up using it
0: so no it's 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 the benefit of doing it this way you know we, we yep. get a, a first-hand look at at how it works and but it also provides us with that familiarity you know um Anytime you do support for a, a particular product, it's good to know and good to get some time in on, on, on that product. So you're able to support it better. And I can tell you by being, having to use anchor has made me a, a better support engineer in that process, which is great. You know, it lets you speak from a uh, experience, which is always a stronger point uh, to support from. We we've talked a lot about kind of how gray mass uh, got started and how, uh, there are sources of funding like Pomelo and and the grant frameworks that are designed to help small teams get started. Is there you know if, if, is there any advice that you give to somebody who's considering starting a crypto native company like this? Is there anything any piece of advice you'd you'd want to give to them or anything about finances that you'd want to go over?
1: I would say um, this is something that we've always tried to do, and I don't know exactly how to jump into the topic, but it's try to stay above board. Uh, this is. Sure highly uncertain industry at this point like they're i think world governments are still trying to figure out how to wrap their heads around what's going on um but you know get an accountant uh, that is familiar with crypto make sure that there's reporting happening any of the important financial disclosures that are um required from the traditional world make sure you're kind of following along with those i know this is this is the opposite of like the wild west mentality, Mm -hmm. but like if you're onto something good and this industry is onto something good and you can be a part of it, the last thing you want is for something um, legally to stand in your way. And this is coming from somebody that operates a company in Canada and lives in the US. (laughs) Um, So I may be in a more uh, strict market than some. but. I would just say for wherever it is you live make sure that you're not going to run into any problems it you just need to make sure that again you're just kind of above board and you're doing things as right as you can Uh, so that way if something changes you kind of have this paper trail that shows that you put in a good faith effort to do things in this uncertain world as best as you could have. Because that's, I mean, that's the last thing I think any of us want is for some sort of legal problem to get in the way about what we're passionate about doing. So that's a big one. Um, And I would say network and work with people beyond just the lawyers and the accountants that um, you can get advice from. Obviously, you need to be incredibly skeptical in this industry because there are a lot of scams. Um, I have fallen for some of them. I think Everyone has their own war story about this kind of thing. Oh, yeah. um, but listen, but don't just blindly operate on the assumption that everything you're being told is correct. Um, you need to be able to question things. You're going to need to be able to learn and rapidly because this space changes fast. Um, some of the core principles of how things work don't change, you know, whether it's the privacy and security of your own um operation like that has remained fairly consistent but how it interacts with the traditional world is changing constantly with new processes to go through and headaches to deal with um just be ready for anything you need to be defensive you need to be ready and um just try to be above board. Don't cut corners. And if it seems shady, it probably is. <laughs> so although there are a lot of people that will cast shade on things that aren't shady. So again, it's just this ever vigilant environment and you'll need to be ready for that.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh misinformation roams free at times. Yeah. So obviously not every project is going to be, or every team that is going to be trying to Look to uh, gain some sort of funding and get started up is going to be uh, uh, an open source project. But does making your project open source kind of help get that start? Does it uh, uh, does it provide more advantages to than disadvantages?
1: I mean, I don't think it's as much about whether it's open or closed source. It's about whether it's a public good or whether it's a for profit initiative. Sure. Okay. And there's a significant lack of public goods in the space, I would say. And so if you're looking for public funding, you know, most likely it's going to be easier to attract that for a public good. And a public good being this thing that you can release that benefits anyone that wants to use it. Um, It's open, uh, Pomelo has a really good kind of articles on this because they have dove pretty deep down what uh, is acceptable on their platform. They only take public goods. Um, So if you're looking for some good reading on that, the Mello blog might have a good source of information. The ENF and the coalition, I think, have also published some stuff in regards to this. Um, But if you're seeking the public funding, public goods are a really strong way to do it. If you want to do a for profit project, you know, like you're going to build a business and it's a product that um, sells things to consumers Uh, probably going some sort of investment route in a more traditional way is probably the best on that side. Um, If there's an expectation of returns on, you know, whatever people are going to be giving you, the public funding doesn't really approach that because if a thousand people donate to you to work on a project and you're building something for profit, there's no way you can share that profit back with your donors. That's just Mm -hmm. not how the systems work. So
0: speaking of investing, um, you've been in the crypto space for a while. I imagine, you know, obviously you have your own crypto that you hold. Do you have any advice for casual investors? You know, uh, obviously there's been uh, we're in a bear market. There's a lot of ups and downs. Is there anything that you can write any piece of advice that you'd give somebody, uh, whether they're starting out or longtime investor?
1: Stop looking at charts every day. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: um <laughs> I know when I first started, it was like multiple times per day that like I was just watching the charts. And I did this when I first got into um, like stocks, you know, investing in like five or six different companies through traditional investment being stocks, like I would check constantly like day in and day out. And that kind of stuff is it's hard. It's hard mentally to deal with, and it's only harder. Crypto because there's no off hours like in <laughs> stock. You know, trading stopped at whatever time it was during the day, and then you didn't have to look anymore. With crypto, it just changes constantly, and um, you know, you obviously want to know what is happening in the short term. But with as volatiles things are, it's just that's one thing that I've learned is like I haven't looked at anything today, nor did yep. I yesterday necessarily. This is a The volatility in the short term is crazy and it can distract you from what you're actually trying to achieve, whether that's a normal job or starting a company or, you know, living your life. Um, And it's for as sharp as it drops, it raises just as sharply at times. And it's really the big picture that you need to look at. Um, And I think the same is probably true for stocks and other traditional investment is is you don't. Stare at it all day, every day. You, you kind of try to take it in as a big picture, and um, you know it, it'll just make it a little bit more sane of an experience. There will be ups, there will be downs. Uh, anybody that says anything about what it's going to do is going to be wrong, most likely. Um, it's there's no magic ball that tells you what you need to do or how you should do it. It's just a matter of um, if you believe this thing can do well, then, you know, do what you're going to do in terms of investing. I don't, I am not an investor. I just happen to have crypto. So I I can't give any investment advice besides just the, if you hold something that is an investment, don't obsess over it. I think that's probably the biggest thing I can say. And one of the most frustrating things in dealing with these communities is that is that there are people that are obsessed day in and day out with oh this happened and now I need to justify it with a reason. It's like hmm. there may not be a reason. There there could be or there could be a thousand reasons. Nobody knows. Um, it's it's all far too complicated to look at in the short term. So mentally, I was just gonna say mentally. That's how I deal with it. Um, But like, I, I am not an investor and I don't have specific advice in that regard. Besides just like, if you're going to invest, stay sane. (laughs)
0: That's good. That that is good advice. That's, that's the best
1: investment advice. (laughs) Don't be crazy.
0: Well, yeah. And and, you know, don't invest more than you can afford. Sure. Um, That's a common meme. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's bad enough that it is a meme. Yeah. Yeah. Read, reading tea leaves is a lost art that is still very much lost. So no one, no one is a, a professional prognosticator. Uh, it's sometimes yeah. things just happen, and it's outside of the control of the market. So,
1: yep. And if someone's trying to tell you what to do with your money, they may have a motive. Yeah. So- it's, it's your money. Like if you want to invest, no matter what it is you want to invest in, whether it's commodities or stocks or crypto, like it's still your money and it's your responsibility. Crypto brings that to a whole new level because there's no intermediaries. Um, so it's, it's a wild world. It is the wild west. It is, and, really, really uh, is. you, you gotta watch out for yourself. So if I said anything that was like advice in terms of investing, I would advise you didn't listen to it.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think that's going to about wrap it up uh, for this week's episode. Thank you all for coming out and giving us a listen. Uh, just a couple notes. We hear at gray mass are, we're hiring. Uh, we are looking for um, a couple different roles specifically development uh do we have those job postings up someplace they are on a post on medium
1: currently which is graymass.medium.com
0: perfect also Pamelo season four right yep Is uh kicking off soon uh, i believe we'll be uh entering again this year uh, this season
1: I think middle of november
0: yep so feel free to uh come support us there That'd be terrific. Um, you can also vote for Gray Mass and the, uh, the team Gray Mass proxy uh, within uh, as a block producer, which is always helpful. Um, but also if you uh, are using Anchor or Unicove or any of our other products and run into any issues, please reach out to us. You can reach us at support.graymass.com or you can uh, shoot us an email at support at But yeah, that's about it for this week. Uh, hopefully uh, we should see you in i uh, we'll be looking to... I uh, have another show coming up soon uh, within the next two weeks. So you'll hopefully hear from us then. But in the meantime, uh, my name's Tony. And I am Aaron. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, uh hope you have a great weekend. Take care.
1: Later.